This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak. All right, welcome back to the only rock and roll podcast guaranteed to give you a bonus. Oh yeah, you're getting it here today. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast. My name is Aaron Camaro, joined as always by my main man right there, Chris Sinzak. I thought we were the only podcast guaranteed to give you a boner. I'm in the wrong place. Oh yeah, boner, bonus, yeah. That's, well, I got confused. I'm sorry. I have to go over to What are we doing today again? But now this is, I'm excited to do this. We did this one, uh, wow, like probably 80 episodes ago. We, yeah, we did this theme ago. with the same guest that we're about to introduce you to. It was episode 303, 303, which doesn't seem like that long ago when you look at the numbers, but it feels it like It was a long, long time, time ago. ago. Yeah, yeah, a lot of fun. But yeah, the, you know, and bonus tracks are kind of a lost art now because everything's digital. Right. So like you still have them, but there's not a, the excitement that there used to be and some of mine actually qualify as hidden tracks, not so much bonus tracks, but stuff that you don't see advertised on the There's room to play around with this. Yeah. But at any rate, we're playing you a whole lot of really good music today, and a lot yeah. of it is probably stuff you've never heard before. A lot of cool songs today. But before we get to all that, you know us. we got to take care of the business, and our business is Apple Podcast Reviews, Facebook Recommendations, and even Podchaser. Yeah, I think Podchaser might still be a thing, possibly. It's still a thing, but reviews for us on there are not a thing lately. Okay, so we'll just concentrate (laughs) on the Apple Podcast and the Facebook recommendations, which is great because we've got one of each. First one is entitled Type O Negative Episode. It's five stars. comes to us from Marco Mero, and it goes a little something like this. This is my first episode I've listened to, but I'm a huge Typo Negative fan and happy that some people are talking about them still. So that's why y'all get five stars. Works for me. Works for me, Thank too. you, Marco. I hope that you'll check out more episodes. Episode. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about Typo Negative on and off throughout the history of this show, so mm-hmm. there's a little bit of something in there. You just got to seek it out. Go back towards the beginning, work your way on through, and enjoy all that. 
And thanks to Andy Connors for coming in and schooling yeah. us on Typo Negative that time. Yeah, that was his topic, and, and that was a fun one to do because it's a band that I typically don't delve that much into, and I, it did, definitely gave me a new appreciation for a lot of their stuff. Most definitely. All right, and then we've got a Facebook recommendation. It comes to us from our good friend Greg Troyan the mm-hmm. second. Yes. That's right. He's the elite singer of Lipstick Generation. He is the host of the Lipstick Panel podcast, and he is the lever of awesome reviews. This one is five out of five stars, and it goes like this. Before I was into podcasting, Decibel Geek had a reputation as being one of the highest quality pieces of weekly rock and roll content on the internet. Their interviews are legendary, and the analysis is both knowledgeable and brilliant. However, there's still a great sense of humor and fun. To me, they are the gold standard in podcasting, and not in the way of being an economic system foolishly discarded during the Wilson administration, (laughs) but in the describing of excellence kind of way. Loved the show before I was their friends, and love it now still. Simply put, excellent. Oh, thank you, Greg. Excellent. Even though you're completely wrong in your take on Pantera, thank you. <laughs> I'm not letting that go anytime soon. Still great at writing reviews. Yeah, I, I, do, I do appreciate the review. That makes the Pantera opinion sting a little less. All right. A couple of five starsers right there were a great way to kick off the show. Yeah, keep I those like coming, that. guys. It makes us happy. Uh, other favorite people, the Geeks of the Week. These are people that shared on Facebook and retweeted on Twitter. Last week's Heavier Side of the Black Crows episode, which seemed to get a lot of great response, especially on the Facebook page. That was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed delving a little deeper mm-hmm. into the Black Crows discography. And what kind of started out as the Heavier Side of Crows just became a Black Crows love fest by the Pretty end much. of it. You know, just a whole big appreciation of the band. And Yeah, and thanks to David Hudson to come, for coming on and doing that. And, and you know, check out his podcast, State of Amorica, if, you, if you're really into the Black Crows. Yes. And uh, also his other show, Digital Kill the Radio Star. So, uh, yeah, great stuff from him, and, and that was definitely worth discussing. So I know we got some Geeks of the Week. Yeah, Geeks of the Week this week are Christian Schimbeck, Matt Ashcraft, Ridiculous Rock Record Review, Scott Crouch, Martin Winham, Jay Shablewski, Joseph Capone, Jason Smith, Todd Rogers, Otto Erlen Gregerson, Cal Hinn, Steve Wright, The Face Melter, Aaron Baker, Shay Hargett, James McElhenney, Adam Cox, Joe Royland, Sit and Spin with Joe, Rodney Dixon, Mikhail Burrell, Chris Cunningham, Wayne Cross, Warren Edward LaRue Baker, Sean Cullen, Greg McGlone, and I forgot to mention The, the Mooger Fooger. Yeah, I know. I didn't see his name on there. It's like, uh oh. Whenever I see his name not on the Geeks of the Week, I worry. I know. We put his, his face on a uh, milk card. Uh huh. So today, like we said at the top of the show, we're revisiting something we've done with Brian before. Brian's back with us today. You may know him from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast, and you definitely remember him from the last few times he's been on the show with us for Decibel Geek. And Brian, welcome back, dude. Well, thank you. And and not not that I was keeping track, but the last time I was on was December of 2017. That was when we did the last bonus tracks. It's been a while. Yeah, it has. I know. It's a good thing we saw you at Rockin' Pod. Exactly. And it was an absolute blast because I you know, I went to the second one. That was my first one. And then the third one was even better. And I even got to meet one of my favorite guitar players, which was uh, Brian Forsyth, of course, from uh, Kicks and Rhino Bucket. And, uh, you know, the always awesome Ian Wadley let me co-interview him on the Rock and Metal Combat podcast. You guys uh, did Ralph, a great job. Yeah, 
Thank you. Thank you. And, and Ralph's not a big fan of kicks. So he was kind of, once he found out that I liked kicks, he's like, oh, go ahead and, and do it. And he let uh, Vincent Cabernet, you know, interview, uh, co-interview Ari Vaughn and Tim Breen with Jason Buehler. I mean, how cool is that? Yeah, I thought that, that was, was cool. that was a genius move on their part. Yeah, it was super they, yeah, cool. I love it. Because I'm sure that the, you guys, you know, were like, holy crap, I just got to interview, you know, someone I love. And that's that's the thrill of doing our show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly true. But I again, I have to say, as cool as it was to meet the bands and the artists, the real highlight for me for both years is to meet the people who I've known for years through social media and, and our love of the podcast and everything at the expo. So to meet a lot of the guys that participate on the Facebook pages, you, you develop real and lasting friendships from hanging out that weekend. And I'm always going to be grateful and, and cherish that. Plus, last year, I got to see Ralph and Ian put on their Vinnie Vincent makeup, which was worth the, the trip for me coming out there anyway. So, totally. uh, But really, I can't thank you guys enough for organizing this event because it does mean a lot to, to many people and the connections uh, that are made and having everyone in one central location is just invaluable. So really, if anyone's on the fence about coming, I'm telling you, it's absolutely worth it. And I'm coming from almost across the country. So yeah. definitely, definitely come next year. I remember meeting you last year at the pre-party. I think it was when Toro Toro was on. Mm-hmm. I go out on like the smoker's deck and all of a sudden uh, he taps me on the show. He goes, I'm Brian Davis. I'm like, holy shit, you came all the way from California for that. That's amazing. <laughs> I think that's one thing that will always make it be a fun weekend is – as fun as it is to talk to people online, you can't really replace the human experience. So right. actually having everybody, it's like your Facebook feed coming to life in I front totally, of you. I love that. You know, and, and uh, that's what I love about it. It's just basically everybody going, oh my God, you're so-and-so. And uh, But yeah, I, I was so happy to have you show up again this year and I'm glad you had a good time. And, and yeah, I'm looking forward to doing it again next year. Yeah, thanks for your part in helping us make it happen. Absolutely. I, I mean, every year I mark it on my calendar, like August is Expo Month and uh, yeah, I can't beat it. That's great. Sweet. Yeah. Cool. So today we're picking some bonus tracks, some B-sides, some songs that you may not have heard before by some of the most awesome artists in rock. But before we get to all that, I really want to make a point in saying, you know, what we do here at Decibel Geek is we promote rock and roll. We've made it our mission since the very beginning of this podcast to support and bring exposure to the artists that we love and respect and this today is going to be a perfect example of that because you're going to hear so much music so please please help us do our part in keeping rock and roll alive and if you hear something today you really dig you hear something you really love you just can't live without it please support the artist and buy the music yeah and then buy concert tickets and t-shirts and all the other cool things that come along with being a rock and roller because today you're going to hear a lot of cool stuff and we want to keep rock and roll alive we can only do that together yes all right ready yeah let's do it all right brian kick us off man all right great intro and uh, my first pick is going to be black knight from Deep Purple, and this is one of my all-time favorite Deep Purple songs, and it's crazy. It never even made an official album. You know, In Rock is a masterpiece without this song, but it still should have made the album, in my opinion. But it's interesting because the song kind of sounds like a combination of the Mark One lineup with Rod Evans, and it's also a combination of the Mark II lineup, which, of course, has Ian Gillen. Specifically, like, the beat and the hand claps are very late 60s sounding, just like Rod Evans, uh, that era. And But the riff is so huge and killer, exactly what the Mark II lineup turned into. Even more interesting is that the record label actually asked the band to basically come up with a non-album single to promote in rock. And this strategy is completely strange to me. Why would you release a single that doesn't even appear on the album you're trying to promote? And, and I guess that's why I was never a record you know, executive. But basically, Speed King was the B-side in the U.K., 
And then Into the Fire was the B-side in the U.S., and so Black Knight was, was the A-side. And both of those songs were on in rock, but Black Knight wasn't. In any case, if you get the 25th anniversary release of in rock, you get Black Knight on it. And, and obviously the band thought highly of the song because they often played it live throughout the Ian Gillen years. And of course, when he rejoined the band in the 80s. But man, this is just a killer song. Groove from hell. Everyone gets to shine on it. Ian Pace has his drum fills. Blackmore obviously shreds a bit. John Ward has his amazing organ solos. But really, the only person that doesn't go crazy is Ian Gillen. There's none of his patented screams, but the song doesn't need it. It's just an awesome, awesome song for the non-casual Deep Purple fans.
so much. That is one of my absolute favorite Deep Purple songs. And I had no idea about any of that because I've got the remastered version of the CD and it's mm-hmm. just on there with the rest. And you're right, you know, to think about it, it does have kind of that psychedelic flavor of what Deep Purple was before this, but it's definitely got the foreshadowing of what Deep Purple is at this point and what will continue to be. Love this song. One of my all-time favorites. Interesting how record companies will make some head-scratcher decisions, and you're going to hear a lot of them today. Like, mm-hmm. that, one, yeah. that one's especially weird because what do you got, a bonus track that's also a single? Yeah. And like Brian says, you know, that's really weird because if you hear the song on the radio, for example, and you say, oh, I really want to go buy that, which is, you know, this is a different time and place. Mm-hmm. I want to go to the store. I want to buy that. So you go grab In Rock and you flip it over and look at the back, and that song's it's not, not even there. on there. Right. What that's backwards thinking. That, so, But it was put out as a single. Maybe they were pushing to sell 45s, maybe. That could be. That's all I can. That's true. And this is, 19, and this is 1972. So. Yeah. So yeah. maybe it was that. But still, it's it's kind of dumb not to put it on the record, though. I agree. The hardcore fans that go out and buy the album will then also go buy the 45 because it wasn't on the album. Mm-hmm. And the people that hear it on the radio and like it, they'll still just buy a bunch of the 45s, which are a little cheaper to make. Right. And then maybe that'll introduce them to the band to make them want to go buy the full album. Yep. I guess it makes sense in kind of a backwards way. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, Aaron, what's your first pick? Oh, let's see. I'm not in any particular order. Let's see what I got here. Um... Let's go with this one right here. This is a good one. So the band Wildside has really become a thing around here lately, you know, within the last year or so. We started out with Rock and Ron always singing the praises of Wildside, and then Rock and Ron making the appearance on the Rock and Metal Combat podcast. <laughs> Infamous appearance. Infamous yeah. and legendary, boy, if you haven't heard that one. Oh, wait, if you want to be reminded of it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, go check that out. A lot of fun. But throughout all this, and then on top of that, you know, Wildside, a couple of the dudes made an appearance at the Rock and Pod Expo just a few weeks ago. And what sucks is that I've become a big fan of this band now. And in all my running around at the Expo, never once met them. Well, they are both local, so we're hoping to have them come out to do an album at least for that record. Because people have reached out to me on this and said, we need to hear you Mm -hmm. doing an album's Unleashed on Wildside's Under the Influence with the band and i've said they're here you know let's yep. let's do it i'm ready for that but my introduction to wild side after all this was me going you know what i need to get this cd so i get online and look and they're like 80 bucks yeah they're very expensive so what i did was i looked online and tried to see what other wild side cds were out there and i found the cd called the wasted years and what this is is it's uh, recorded with Andy Johns in 1991 at Eddie Van Halen's 5150 studio. And what that means is it's a song that got left off of that debut album under the influence. But luckily, in 2004, Wildside teamed up with Stevie Rochelle's RLS Records and released an entire album of bonus tracks. That's what was called The Wasted Years. It's got some really awesome unreleased material on it. And this is a song I just love, man. I think it's badass, and I think you're going to like it too. So this is Wild Side, and a tune called Easy as One, Two, Three.
know that one? I had never heard it before. Yeah, me neither, but I love it. It would have fit. It, I think it would have fit great on Under the Influence. Uh, Mid tempo rocker, good stuff. And again, check out Rock and Run's uh, appearance on <laughs> Rock and Metal Combat podcast. You'll, you'll have a new appreciation for the album. Most definitely. And for cocaine. And for cocaine. <laughs> Hell of a drug. Oh, man. Uh, poor yeah. Ron. And Rock and Ron, uh, I'm going to mandate that he comes next year to Rock and Pod because he was yes. very, very much missed this year. Out of everybody that I've talked to the whole weekend, I don't think anybody's name came up more than I wish Rock and Ron was here. Yeah. I heard that about a few people, but not nearly as much as everybody. I yeah. mean, everybody loves and missed Rock and Ron. Yeah, I wish he could have made it. So uh, I'm going to make my first pick, and um, this is an interesting song. Um, I'm going to play Hero off No Rest for the Wicked by Ozzy. Love it. And um, I love this album. I mean, it came out September of 1988, produced by Roy Thomas Baker and Keith Olsen, which is an interesting pairing of producers because Roy Thomas Baker is more of the new wave, old school, you know, analog production. Keith Olsen was the modern digital guy. Did a lot of pop albums and stuff like that, but also did a lot of rock albums at White Snake and stuff like that. But um, this this Ozzy album sounds nothing like any other in his whole catalog, in my opinion. It just, especially with Zach coming on board for the first right. time, it's a, and it's a great lineup playing on it. You know, you've got Zach, you've got Bob Daisley on bass, Randy Castillo on drums. I love this lineup of Ozzy. I kind of wish it had stayed together a little bit longer. Super group is what it really it is. is. And um, oh, Keith Olsen actually just mixed the album, so that makes sense. But this song, "Hero," um, from what I've read, apparently this song was written in response to the lawsuits over the the suicide and stuff like that, where people were, you know, make, basically making Ozzy out to be this horrific person. And right. and if you pay attention to the lyrics, you can see, you know, where he's coming from, how it kind of tore him up for. People to put him on such – it's like basically don't put me on a high pedestal. I don't want to be your hero. I'm just a man, you know, and it's a very interesting thing because he, he was being called like, you know, the son of Satan and all this stuff. And, and it, it's kind of a response from the human that Ozzy is to all of those claims. So it's, it's a very – it's kind of a deep track for him in two ways. And, uh, yeah, this is uh, Hero by Ozzy Osbourne.
love that song. No Rest for the Wicked was like my first real Ozzy album. Me too. It was the one that was new. Yep. I was able to go get it from the store when it came out. And that hidden track on there, man, I just... I remember listening to it and then thinking it's over, but it's not over. And then you got this amazing song to yeah. kick, kill off the album at the end. And whew, love that song a lot. I haven't listened to that in a long time. I'm glad you picked it's it. It's a good one. Yeah, I mean, that that album as a whole is a forgotten gem. And, and Ozzy in general has tremendous bonus tracks, as you will definitely find out. Yeah, we're going to do us a little double shot of Ozzy today, huh? Yeah. All right, nice. Um, So I guess, do you want to do that? You want to do a double shot of Ozzy? Let's do it. Let's do it. Double shot of Ozzy on the Decimal Geek Podcast. Double shot. <laughs> Perfect. So I picked uh, You Said It All. And this is kind of a cheat uh, because to this day it's never been released as a real bonus track on an official re-release, but which is an absolute crime for diehards. Yeah. Uh, the only way pre-naps are in YouTube you could actually hear this track was on the Mr. Crowley Live EP that was released about a month after Blizzard of Oz. And the EP had live versions of Mr. Crowley, Suicide Solution, and then You Said It All. However, Ozzy just announced he's going to release like all of his vinyl in November, and included is this EP. So that's great. But then they're going to leave off Speak of the Devil, so don't get me started that, on that. That makes no sense no. at all. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's a whole other episode. Yeah. <laughs> so, and uh, do you see the price tag on that thing? Yeah, yeah so 500 cheap. bucks. Holy not shit. Not shipping. But man. You thought the vault was expensive. So. Can, I mean, you can go to Vinnie Vincent's birthday bash for that kind of money. <laughs> I'll take Ozzy's set, I think. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but the story behind this song is kind of like Black Knight. Um, the record label wanted to promote Blizzard of Oz, and they released the new song as a single. But again, I, we talked about I don't understand this logic, but you can never find it on an album. To me, you're just cannibalizing the sales of the proper album, but I digress. Bob Daisley said that Randy Rhodes had the initial r- riff for this, and then put, the song came together with Bob during a sound check. And then Lee Kerslake came up with a vocal melody and uh, melody, and then Bob wrote the lyrics. And according to Bob, Ozzy was passed out drunk underneath the drum riser while the band wrote the song. I have no idea if this is true or not, but it doesn't sound too far fetched. No, it don't. <laughs> and the absolute best part of the song is the chorus. Ozzy's vocal tone when he does "You Said It All" is just—it's a selling point for me. Every time the chorus comes, the hair stands up on my arms. It's just fabulous. You know, the early Ozzy rasp in his voice before he started to kind of double and triple track all of his studio vocals. Uh, this is where it really shines on You Said It All. We don't have that. I love the rawness of the song. And plus, any extra songs and versions from the Randy Rhodes era, that should be available for everyone to enjoy.
Yeah, this is one of them songs, man, especially in retrospect, now listening to it, thinking, man, why isn't this, why wouldn't this be considered an Ozzy classic? Why wouldn't this be a song that he'd play, you know, all the time in concert? You know, this is such a good tune. It's a shame that it was hidden away from everybody for so long. Yeah, I agree. That It's a great song, and, you know, we're gonna, like I said, we're going to hear head scratchers all day on this thing, but... Uh, yeah, I I love that song. It's written real well. It's performed really well. But yeah, great choice. So yeah, that's the, that's your double shot of Ozzy. Double, yes. double shot. <laughs> All right, Aaron, what do you got next? Oh, let's see. What do I got next? Okay, um, how about this one? Duff McKagan, man, he's known for Seattle punk rock roots, but from a very young age, he was fascinated with Prince and credits Prince for being one of the biggest influences on his career. In 1993, Duff released his first solo album outside of Guns N' Roses titled Believe In Me. On the single for the title track, Duff added a couple of good bonus tracks that would not appear on the album, including this one. This is pretty interesting. I like this. It's a tribute to his hero. It's a cover of the Prince song, Bambi.
guys ever heard that one before? Yes, it's uh, it's it's, it's an odd choice. I mean, I guess when you know his history, it makes more sense. Yeah. But uh, I love what he did with it, though. Yeah, me too. Rocked it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had never heard it until uh, Aaron picked this, and I love it. I mean, I, it makes me want to revisit "Believe in Me" because I remember having it back in the day, like on cassette, and then I just kind of forgot about it. So, I, yeah, I want to revisit it now. That's a really great album. It's got some. It's got some really good songs on it. It's got some weird experimental things. It's yeah. got some rapping on it. Yeah, you know? exactly. He's never afraid but, to, to experiment. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I think that's part of what makes that a really good album because there's a little something there for everybody, quite mm-hmm. literally. Yeah. You know, and that mm-hmm. one's always been one of my favorites. I would love to get Duff McKagan on the show to do albums Unleashed on Believe in Me. That would be pretty cool. Amazing. Yeah. I would love it. All right. What so, are you waiting on, Chris? Make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get right on that, Chief. Get him to Rockin' Pod next year. Oh, that would be, boy, would that be yep. amazing. Yeah. Oh, man. Somebody tell Duff McKagan about Rockin' Pod. That would be something, wouldn't it? Yeah. All right. Yeah. But, hey, Duff, we're going to do five different albums unleashed on stage. So, you know, get comfortable. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> okay. So, obviously, I can't let an opportunity to pass by without playing an Alice Cooper song. So, that's what I'm going to do now. I'm going to play something off Dragon Town and, uh, this is, you know, kind of Alice's quote-unquote metal era, um, or like drop D era. Right. Um, and this album kind of didn't have a chance at the time because it, the this type of music was already pretty much out of fashion by the time he did this record. It came out on Spitfire Records, which yeah. had a very tiny budget, never didn't do a lot to promote the albums they put out. We all knew because we read about it in Metal Edge and then got it, but the average music listener probably had no idea this album even came out. And then the third and main reason why this album kind of didn't have a chance is it came out a week to the day after September 11th. Um, but it's an interesting record. It's not one of my favorite album, Alice albums for sure. I'm not real crazy about the production on it. It's just not produced very well, which was probably due to the low budget that the record company had at the time. I do like some of the, the lyrical concepts, and I, I like the overall idea. I think I do prefer it to Brutal Planet by a little bit, but I kind of lumped those two albums together. This is a bonus track that came off of this album that this is a total head scratches. Like, I don't, I, this is not a single material type song, which, and also another weird thing about this, there was no singles released from this record at all. Um, I suppose not. Who was going to play that? Nobody. Um, but how this song didn't make the record, because I can think of several songs on this record that should have been replaced by this song, is beyond me. So, off of Dragon Town from 2001, this is Alice Cooper with a really awesome song called Can't Sleep, The Clowns Will Eat Me. Friends to see, I can't miss a thing, it's true. 
Probably thinking about that album, that could possibly have been the best song on that album. I think so. I, I love this. It was this left song. off. Yeah. Strange. Yeah. Brian, Brian, did you hear this one? Yeah, I had never heard it before. And then uh, I checked it out on YouTube, and some fan had set this song to uh, match with the, the latest version of the movie It, you know, based on the Stephen King novel. Right. That makes and, sense. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's really well done. Super creepy. And uh, yeah, that's one way to check it out. Yeah, it's a perfect uh, song for the soundtrack. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I just. Anything with a horror theme, Alice is always on top of it. And I just, yeah, I can't see how that song didn't replace several songs on that record. It's really weird. Yeah. All right. So Brian's up next. Yep. Yeah. So we're going to go back with a tried and true uh, classic band. And I'm picking, hey, hey, what can I do from Led Zeppelin? And again, talk about an embarrassment of riches. Just like Deep Purple with Black Knight, this song should have been on Led Zeppelin 3. I would have much rather have heard this song in... Zeppelin 3 instead of Hats Off to Roy Harper, which is one of my least favorite Zeppelin songs. <laughs> yeah, that's and, not a good yeah, one. <laughs> they should have kept their hat on and had, hey, hey, what can I do? Take the listeners home. But unless you were fortunate enough to have this Atlantic Records sampler from 1972, you would have never heard this song until it was released on their 1990 box set. And that's when I first heard this track. Radio stations picked it up. And it was because it was somewhat uh, a new Zeppelin song for for many people, and it promoted the box sets. I know that was a huge selling point for me at the time. And the track should also have been included on the original pressing at Coda, which was the Odds and Sods album. And it would have made way more sense to have that song than, say, like an isolated track of John Bonham doing another drum solo. And (laughs) nothing, nothing against Bonham, but... 
Uh, I don't know many people clamoring for audio of a drum solo instead of a proper song, you know, that, that's just killer. And then thankfully, when they did the reissue of Coda in 2015, they finally included Hey, Hey, What Can I Do? And all is right in my Led Zeppelin world. Uh, but for the song itself, terrific. Just a laid back folk and blues influences, which is exactly uh, what the mellow parts of Zeppelin 3 sounded like. Robert Plant's vocals are just perfect. They're warm. They blend in perfectly with Jimmy Page's acoustic strumming. And actually, I think vocally, this song has everything that was wonderful about Robert Plant. His performance is just top notch. You get his high range when the song calls for it, and it never feels forced. None, none of the band tries to show off on this. They just let the song speak for itself. Really, really well-crafted. I just love it.
Yeah, that's yeah. weird. You know, it's been played on radio so much for so long that it almost feels like it would be considered a classic Zeppelin big hit single. Well, I, right. I'm completely shocked because I was getting into Zeppelin when the box set came out. So I didn't know any other history. And I bought it on CD, and it was like my college soundtrack for the first year of college. Smoked a lot of dope listening to the Led Zeppelin box set, but it was it was on part of the CD. I had no idea it was never a single. I I just at the time I just assumed that this was a radio hit for them in the seventies. So to hear that it kind of got the the brush off treatment for decades is just kind of astonishing to me. I can't. So when it was being played on the radio in the nineties, it was basically a new song. I had no idea. Exactly, exactly. Nobody, unless you had that sampler. They had, Atlantic Records had a sampler album from 72. That's the only place you could have heard it. Wow. That's wild. You know, it, yeah, that's crazy. Think about that, how that's become like a Led Zeppelin radio. That's a great staple, song. You know? Yeah. And yet it they. like it was there all along, but it really wasn't. Yeah. There's kind of Matrix thing going on here. This got left off albums, and yet Hot Dog continued to exist. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes the world just isn't fair. No, no. Right. Oh, man. All right. All right. Well, since you uh, dropped down the tempo with that one, I know what I'm going with next. Mm. In 2012, Ugly Kid Joe released their first new music in 16 years with the release of the EP Stairway to Hell. Then in 2013, they came back and made a deluxe version of that, and with it was released three acoustic bonus tracks, including an acoustic version of Would You Like to Be There. I listened to this song and I think, what kind of world do we live in? What kind of country is this that a song like this isn't a massive hit?
understand it you know it's a yeah. beautiful song it's so well written the band is right on the money i mean i get it when the original version came out it was 1996 but i mean even today if a song like that got a shake on radio wouldn't that have everything you'd want in a big hit song i would think so i don't understand i don't understand the world that surrounds me <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I loved it. I loved Motel California. I yeah, loved all of Ugly Kid shows uh, releases, and so yeah, when that was on that album, yeah, I'm glad they they did a different version because maybe people will go back and listen to Motel California because it was on a small label. People totally forgot about it. Me and Brian were the ones. We went out yep. and bought it when it was new. <laughs> I was. I saw it. I think it was Blockbuster Music, and I'm like, shit, fit, new Ugly Kid Joe, I'm yeah. amazing. I was there the day at Camelot Music when it came out, and I rushed in, and it's like, where's everybody else? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, they're, they're, at least I got mine. They're all in Europe lining up at the music store there. I guess there. so, yeah. That's I right. guess this would be the time for my, <laughs> my every so often plea. Please, Ugly Kid Joe, come back to America. We miss <laughs> you. We're talking about you on podcasts. We want you to come back to America. Please don't forsake us any longer. I agree. Please. Yes. Oh, man. So is it my, it's my turn now? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, and this is one that was, um, I kind of learned something today about this one. And, you know, we had a lot of great response when I throw out, you know, what are your, some of your favorite bonus tracks? And this was one of them that was suggested by a listener. I always assume this song just appeared on Metallica's Garage Inc. album, basically fresh then i didn't know that this song goes all the way back to the injustice for all sessions of course now hearing it now in hindsight makes makes total sense why i don't hear a bass guitar on this song Uh um talking about bread fan which if you don't know was originally done by budgie on their never turn your back on a friend uh, album in 1973 if you've never checked out budgie sorry to take a tangent here you really owe it to yourself. For one, sure. one of the most underrated bands of of all time. Absolutely. Yeah. Great, great band. And actually, Metallica didn't really change it up that much from what Budgie did on their version. No, so, both versions are heavy as yeah. can be and just awesome <clears throat> rocking. Yeah, yeah, if you want to basically hear proto-metal, listen to some old Budgie stuff. But um, I digress. But um, Metallica <laughs> just did a killer version on this song. And ever since I had Garage Inc. when it came out, this was always one of my favorite things on there. And it just, the song just kicks ass from start to finish. And I remember seeing them at Starwood Amphitheater, rest in peace, back in the 90s when Metallica was there. And I think they opened with this song. I'm pretty sure this was the, the first song they played at that show. And uh, a lot of the diehards just went nuts for that, for this song. So, so with a killer uh, nonstop riff, this is Metallica doing Bread Fan.
I'm sure you're both highly familiar with this one. Yes, man. I love this song so much. And I remember hearing about it, and then I remember having a friend of mine that actually had it so I could hear it. Mm. And then I remember Garage Inc. coming out and being like, yes, finally, and just being able to crank that thing up. At the time when Garage Inc. came out, I was working on radio, and we used to do a thing called Mandatory Metallica. <laughs> and it was like an hour on a Monday night. You could they just let me play whatever Metallica I wanted. You know, it's just like whatever. A sliver just, of freedom. Just make sure <laughs> you play Metallica only for this hour. What Metallica? Any Metallica you want. Awesome. And I would, oh man, I played the hell out of Bread Fan. Yeah. Because it was a song that not everybody heard. Mm-hmm. But so good, you know. Yeah. What Metallica fan wouldn't hear that and just go nuts and say, this is one of the greatest Metallica songs ever. That's a ripping song. And be like, guess what? It's actually a cover. Yep. <laughs> Brian? Yeah, and I heard it on, I, th- I think it was the live shit, Binge and Purge box set, which had uh, the Seattle show from mm-hmm. 89 in there. And I think it closed the show. So that's when I first heard it. I was like, this is amazing, you know, but you couldn't find it anywhere. And so you would hear it on random things. And then finally, uh, they rectified everything by putting it on Garage Inc. But yeah, I used to love this and Blitzkrieg and all of their, they were so good at uh, cover songs. They'd pick obscure stuff that that's just, and they made it their own. I mean, I always thought Am I Evil was Metallica. So, yeah, you know? yeah, me too. I did too. But yeah, this one apparently it was act- it was a B-side to Eye of the Beholder back in 88 89. Mm-hmm. So uh, I had no idea. I you know, I came into Metallica li- right around that time, but I wasn't collecting everything just yet. So I had I didn't hear Breadfan until the 90s. So um but yeah, just Yeah. I, that was an easy pick to, to when I, when I saw that as a suggestion, I'm like, "Oh, I'm definitely going to play that song." Yeah, definitely yeah, awesome one of song. my favorite Metallica songs. All right. So we're back to Brian. All right, so I'm going to pick my all-time favorite band, that's ACDC, and I'm picking Cold-Hearted Man. Mm. And again, this is a band with an embarrassment of riches. Uh, Unless you had the original European release of Powerage, uh, you likely never heard this kick-ass song. The European release had 10 tracks, where everyone else got 9 tracks. And I would never say to remove a song from Powerage. I just think everyone should have had the 10-song album, because Cold-Hearted Man definitely deserved to be on it. And my theory about why it was left off of the U.S. version, uh, I think maybe it sounded a bit too close to Gone Shooting, at least with the groove and the vibe of it. But in any case, I, again, I believe the world should hear as much of the Bon Scott era that is available, and I'm glad it was finally included in the Backtracks box set that they released, which has all the unreleased material from the band that wasn't already included on the Bonfire set. Again, ACDC, all-time favorite band. And I think even more than casual fans probably haven't heard this track. And if I'm not mistaken, Powerage is Chris's favorite album from ACDC. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I, think so I don't think there's anything that tops it.
hail Bon Scott. Yes. Yeah, you can't go wrong with that. I, I forgot that ACDC is your number one favorite band. How, how many times have you seen them live? Oh, God, I want to say five. So I, my first, I was supposed to see him in 1990 on the Razor's Edge tour, but I was in seventh grade, and my parents were like, yeah, we're not taking the ACDC. So I had to wait <laughs> until I got into high school, and I saw him, I've seen him on Ball Breaker and then yeah. every single tour since. And, uh, yeah, I, I they never, ever let me down, ever. Yeah, I got to work a show on the Ball Breaker tour at my college. I was on the events crew. And it was my first week, and, and I when I got hired on, I was like, can I work the ACDC show? Because it was about to happen. Right. And they're like, no. like Only the you know experienced people can work that one. So I'm bummed in my room because I couldn't afford a ticket. So, you know, and it was at the at the uh, Murphy Center on, on campus. So I'm at the really? dorm. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, they played there on the Ball Breaker Tour. That's not a really big place. No. Well, they weren't doing that great yeah, at the time. True. And um, so I'm, mm. I'm sitting there in my dorm room, bummed out that night that I can't go to the show, and all of a sudden my phone rings, and they go... We had a crew member couldn't make it, so can you come down here? And I, I sprinted across campus to get over to Murphy Center, and I got there right. I don't even know who put, who opened for who opened for them. I have no idea. When I saw them, it was a band out of Australia called The Poor. I think that's and who it was. They had um, remember more wine, waiter, please. That was yep. kind of a single around that era. Yep. Uh, they were great. I really enjoyed. That's another great album. Uh, yeah. Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. So um, so I sprint over there, and this is after whoever opened opened. And the, you know they're about to lower the house lights. I get there, find my boss, and they go, "Okay, follow me." Walk me all the way down, right in front of the stage, where there's like a little area by a barricade. And they go, "Okay, you're going to be here." I'm like, "Really? What am I doing?" They're like, "You're checking passes to make sure people go to the backstage area." I was literally four feet away from Angus Young for the whole oh, concert. Nice. And it was. I've never seen somebody work as hard on a stage as that guy does. I mean, he just was yeah. non fucking stop. And I, I don't think I could hear very well for three or four days when that was over. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I didn't think about earplugs or anything. I was right. just running to be part of it. But it was worth being deaf for a few days because it was one of the most amazing things I've ever watched. That's yeah, awesome. them and Motorhead are like the two loudest bands I ever saw in concert. And what was great about Ball Breaker, too, is they started the show. It was like this you know, makeshift brick wall, and then yep. the Wrecking Ball would knock it down. Yep. And then the band came out, and they opened up with Back in Black. And it was just it was amazing. Yeah. That's cool. I like it. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess uh, speaking of loud bands, <laughs> let's do some Motorhead. Let's do it. Yeah. It's hard to believe this iconic song didn't make the cut to be included on Motorhead's second album, Overkill. Instead, it was released as a B-side for the title track single. The song would be reintroduced by Metallica in 1989 off that we just mentioned it not too long ago, Garage Inc., which, I mean, that album doesn't get a lot of credit, but man... Garage Inc. was pretty badass. Great album. Great album. Reintroduced yep. a lot of people to this song who then went back and sought out the original. <laughs> Eventually, it would come out on the uh, the deluxe version of the remastered Overkill album. And it features the classic lineup of Lemmy, Filthy, and Fast Eddie, and you just can't go wrong with that. Love this song. One of my all-time favorite Motorhead songs. And it wasn't even on an album. It was a B-side. This is too yeah. late. Too late. Yeah. 
amazing and and of the original lineup what would what would say your guys's favorite album from them are hmm. oh man i i'd almost have to go with this one with overkill i mean there's so mm-hmm. many good songs on it but i love iron fist i think is kind of underrated iron, I personally like iron that fist, one yeah that that would probably be mine yeah yeah, mm. Although, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm gonna be i'm gonna be annoying i'm gonna take ace of spades. I, was, I was just about to say <laughs> you can't really go wrong with ace of spades you yeah you, you almost want to discount it because you know that's what everybody else is going to say, and you don't want to just come up with the typical answer. But man, there's not really a bad song on Ace of Spades either. Well, I'll tell you what did you did the Rock and Metal Combat talking about <laughs> Iron Fist, right? And actually, I got more into it after listening to you guys talk about it. Yeah, because it's an amazing album. It's yeah. hard to pick, man. They're all so good. Yeah, and I to know. give props to Rock and Metal Combat, which I've heard this from listeners of our show. When you hear people breaking down something in depth and getting into why they like it. It will honestly influence your opinion of it. Sure, like definitely. I've I've been turned on to so many albums from other shows. It's not even funny. I think that's what we're doing here today. Yeah, we're doing this for Absolutely. everybody so that they go out and buy the music and save rock and roll with so us. Go out and buy a, a bunch of box sets and remasters that have all these songs on there. Right. Well, speaking of that, Motorhead's going to re-release uh, Overkill and Bomber on vinyl and have all sorts of bonus stuff. Oh, and wow. uh, I think that's a must-own if you're yeah. Well, Aaron's now buying vinyl, so yeah, <laughs> awesome. Yeah, <I> am. <laughs> You're gonna have to go broke. Uh-huh. I'd love to have that, though. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, so I'm gonna keep the, I guess, kind of the Motorhead vibe alive here, into a point. I'm gonna play something by Fastway. So, yeah. um, the first album, anybody, well, anybody that listens to this show already knows a lot about. It. Came out in April of 1983, produced by the great Eddie Kramer. Um, of course, the funny story behind it is Fast Eddie Clark and Pete Way from UFO getting together to do a band and an album, and then Pete Way quits the band. Mm-hmm. So uh, Pete Way doesn't even appear on the record, which is kind of funny considering that he was like the founding member right. of the band. <laughs> but uh, there's a great, you know, great group of guys on there: Fast Eddie Clark, Jerry Shirley on the drums, amazing drummer. And uh, for this song, uh, Dave King, uh, if you don't get a Robert Plant vibe off of the vocal on this song, uh, I don't know what to tell you. And um, this is as. As Brian was able to cheat a little bit earlier, I'm going to cheat a little bit now because uh, this song was a separate promotional sing- single. It was included in the first vinyl LP pressings. It was not on the original cassette versions and not on subsequent LP editions, but is included on the CD. So yes. it's kind of a bonus track. Okay. Well, it's <laughs> so, a great song either way. Yeah. So let her rip. So this is Fast Way doing Far, Far From Home.
You know, you talk about guitar players sometimes and how you can feel emotion through their playing. Mm-hmm. This is a perfect example of that and a perfect example of just how amazing Facity Clark was as a guitarist. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, if a song could sweat and drip and groove, that song's got it. I always got a kind of a similar vibe to Since I've Been Loving You by Zeppelin yeah. with this song. And oh, yeah. That's probably where it comes from, but... It's a great change of pace on that record because there's some more pummeling stuff on that record. Oh, but, yeah. to, but to have this kind of moody, bluesy rocker is just—it's just a cool track, especially to end an album that way. It's always cool. Yeah, that's exactly what I put down. I was like, since I've been loving you, total that vibe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that's fastly, that's one of the best debut albums ever, in my opinion. And uh, also, the second album has been out of print, and I just found out Rock Candy Records is finally going to reissue it oh, next month, So, awesome. which would be September. So, I, yeah, that'd be great. Nice. That's cool. Yeah, I don't have the second one in my collection. No, it's hard to find. Mm-hmm. All fired up. All right, so we're back to... Are we, down to, are we on... Is this the last one? I don't know. Brian, are you going to yeah. play one or both of these? Well, let's do, if you're going to give me a bonus track, I'll take it. Okay. Well, you or do you wanna, how about we do one more pick and then we'll we'll wrap up, plug your show, and then we'll make the last one the playout song. Perfect. That sounds good. Nice. So this, this will be the last one for us. Cool. Uh, so, yeah, I went with Social Parasite from Alice in Chains. And you might be saying, well, what is this song? I've never heard this song. Well, this comes from the 1988 demos that were unreleased until their box set. Music Bank, that was released in 1999. And Music Bank's worth having just for the demos, and then you get also two new tracks at the time, which were Get Born Again and Died. Uh, but some might falsely think that the idiot demos are like glam metal. And I'll say that the demos aren't as dark as Facelift, uh, but they don't really sound like hair metal to my ears at all. Uh, it's probably because the main riff is you know it's it's dare i say a little bit more upbeat than the sabbath inspired uh riffage that they were best known for i mean that's probably why their their early demos get labeled as glam but i would say the best comparison to their sound would be early love hate social parasite could have totally fit out on something like blackout in the red room which i absolutely love no pun intended and uh the intro riff just awesome sets the tone for this song you get to hear a few interesting percussive tidbits almost like cowbell uh but what you can really hear is like the early days of the amazing harmonies from both Lane Staley and Jerry Cantrell. It's subtle, but when they kick in, it's unmistakable, the sound, uh, because that's the Alice in Chains sound. And the guitar solo is awesome, but it doesn't necessarily sound like traditional Alice in Chains, but that doesn't bother me. The solo fit the song, and it sounds great. So if you enjoy Social Parasite, also check out What You're Gonna Do, Killing Yourself, I Can't Have You Blues, and Queen of the Rodeo. All awesome songs that are pre-faced with.
excited when I got to hear them songs, especially these early demos, because mm-hmm. I'd always heard the legend of Alice and Chains, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. you know, Alice and Chains was kind of a glam band before well, they broke. They had the look for sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And this song, to me, it kind of does remind me of that, especially with the attitude of it of, you don't like the way I look, well, you know, F you, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, we're rock and roll, and you don't, you know, kind of punk rock, glam rock, kind of a kind of an attitude in the lyrics and everything, too, and I, it's cool, you know, it's a, it's an Alice in Chains song that isn't about doing heroin. Yeah, pretty awesome. much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, um... I had the well. I had Music Bank, and I'm putting the word "had" in quotations. Let's just say Pirate Bay was a big part of my life at the time. <laughs> um, so, but I couldn't wait to hear all the the goodies and the demos and the rarities and stuff. And uh, I remember hearing these songs for the first time, and kind of like Brian, I was like, "Well, it is different, but you can still hear the same skeleton of what became what it right, became." Definitely. Um, but yeah, if you uh, if you want, yeah, Music Bank, you should go buy it if you want it. it but it's definitely worth your money because there's yes. a, there's a lot of cool stuff on that whole box set. But yeah, that's a good pick. I wouldn't have even thought to pick an Allison Chains bonus track, but that was a good one. Really good. One. Thanks. All right, so that pretty much wraps up what we're doing here today for as far as our bonus tracks. Again, 
please, please go out and keep rock and roll alive by supporting these artists. And this has been a lot of fun today. Yeah. I like I like digging deep. You know, we don't like to play the singles and no. stuff around here. We're not your local radio station. We like to go a little deeper. You know, they say radio's the way it is because most people aren't special enough to care about what they're listening to. But we know our listeners and our friends and our guests are all very special, and they are particular about their rock and roll. And so we hope today you enjoyed this. And Brian, man, we definitely enjoyed having you back on with us. Oh, it's like my home away from home. I, you guys were one of the first podcasts I got into. And uh, from that and, and Rock and Metal Combat, I, it really inspired me to do damn good movie memories. And so I did something completely different because it's obviously movies. But, you know, kind of the just like these bands, they all have influences. It all comes from somewhere. And uh, you guys have always been on the top of my list. So it, it's been a pleasure to always be on your show. But then to meet you in person, it's, it's just that much better. And I can't thank you guys enough. Well, thanks, Likewise, man. yeah. Well, do a plug for your show and let people know where they can check it out. Okay, so Damn Good Movie Memories is, of course, on Apple uh, Podcasts, it's on Spotify, it's on Podbean, and you can go in and find it wherever you download your, your podcast. And we do all sorts of fun things. The first 100 episodes were kind of like topics, and that was a lot of fun, but then I started to kind of lose track. I was really hurting for topics. I was like, what am I going to do next? So we started to do kind of soundtrack reviews, which was fun, and then I started to run out of soundtracks, so I'm like, okay, I have a huge movie collection, DVD collection. I'm just going to pick a random movie every week, and that's what we've been doing for the last, actually beginning this year. So it's been a ton of fun. Anything from you know an early Hitchcock film to a silly 80s comedy to whatever I have. So it's been great to have, you know, random guests and people that rediscover movies just like, you know, on your guys' podcast, they, they rediscover music. So it's the same thing. It's the love of, of media and the, and the love of entertainment. That's awesome. I love that. Great cool. concept. And, you know, for the listeners that didn't hear it, because we talked about it before we started recording, Chris and I are going to be very soon making our debuts on Brian's podcast as well. So yeah. Keep your ears open for that because yeah. we're going to do something cool. Yeah. Absolutely. I can't wait. So um, since we're doing an episode on bonus tracks, why not play out with another bonus track? And Brian, why don't you pick it? Okay. So I appreciate this. And uh, I'm going to pick one that maybe people haven't heard. And it's Me and My Wine from Def Leppard. And um, this has always kind of been an oddball track, not because of the song itself, but the way it was released. It was originally recorded during the High and Dry sessions back in 81, and then it was released on a B-side to bring you on the heartbreak. However, once Pyromania hit huge, then the record company, of course, wanted to capitalize on the success, and they reissued uh, High and Dry in 1984, and they included Me and My Wine as a bonus track. And they even released a music video for it, which seemed completely random because it wasn't even on Pyromania, which they were trying to push at the time. So I guess they were just trying to get more sales to, to High and Dry. But I had it on cassette, and I always thought it was just part of the album. And then when I tried to buy it on CD, I discovered it wasn't even on there. And so this is pre-internet, folks. I didn't have all you know <laughs> technology to find out where everything came from. Right. Uh, but I kind of understand why it wasn't included. It may have been too close to like Saturday night and another hit and run. But uh, I love the straightforward rock vibe of this that they never really they stopped doing. They don't really do it anymore. And so anything that is pyromania and before that, I pretty much love. And, and uh, I don't really hear uh, a major difference uh, on this song compared to the rest of High and Dry. So hope you enjoy All it. Right. All right. Well, playing us out, here's Def Leppard with Me and My Wine. And we'll see you next week. See ya.
wait a minute. What the hell is going on here? We missed picks. We did. Yeah, you got one more, and also I got one more. I don't know. We we're just having too much fun. We lost track of what, what our agenda was. This is professional podcasting at its finest, well, right here. Well, no, it's not that we forgot. We just wanted to give you <laughs> bonus tracks on a bonus tracks episode. Bonus tracks for the bonus tracks yeah. on the bonus track episode. It makes total. That's sense why you sat through you know half an hour of silence before this picked back up. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was like whoa, Des will get released a five hour long episode. Yeah, what's going on? But it's just an extra ten minutes right at the very end. Right. No, let's not do that. <laughs> It would be Why are my tracks on my CD going to 99, you know? Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> if only we could do that podcast. Right, yes. you, you, what a, I used to hate that. Oh, I, I know. I hate that so bad. Because sometimes at the end of that 99, you know, tracks, there'd be something cool. But you'd never want to leave it play that long no. for that. Or you didn't want to hold down the button to get it to get to it. Oh, I hate yeah. it when bands did that. Yeah. Glad that don't happen. That's not anymore. a problem anymore. No, I guess nope. not. All right. Well, so what is what is the your missing picture? <laughs> <laughs> In 2009, the Donnas released an album called Greatest Hits Volume 16 to commemorate their 16-year career. It's a mix of new songs, re-recorded songs, and unreleased bonus tracks. This was the last thing the band ever released. And this is one of my all-time favorite Donna's tunes. It's a re-recorded version that comes off this album. It's an awesome tune called You Make Me Hot. Where'd they go? Where did the Donnas go? Somebody find them and tell them we need them. 
Well, they're from my neck of the woods. They're in the Bay Area. They grew up in Palo Alto, California, which is right where uh, Stanford University is. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. yeah, as I understand it, I think some of them just went off and are doing college, and some of them are working on commercial soundtracks and all kinds of different stuff. But at a certain point in their career, Donna's just you know weren't making no money anymore. Once CDs stopped selling, I guess. So if enough of you love that song, go out and buy the record, you might actually get them to come back. Right, that's the idea. Yeah. You go buy the music, and all of a sudden they go, "Wait a minute, there's a big uptick in our music. <laughs> our checks that are coming in the mailbox are getting bigger." There's demand. It's back. Now so are the Donnas. And we made it happen. Yeah. I just want the Donnas back. I really do. Oh, man. So I know we'd, we'd mentioned uh, Rock and Metal Combat a little bit this episode. So they're the, I actually recently recorded with those guys. Me and Baco from Cobras and Fire did a... That's right, because all three of us were on the list. The list for Room 805. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> what happens in Room 805 stays in Room 805 <laughs> and, until Ralph uploads it onto YouTube. Um, but uh, we uh, we did a discussion on the Aerosmith Rocks uh, record. And, you know, obviously oh, and, and nice. three out of four of us, me, Ian, and Ralph, love that album and every song on it. Yeah, what's not to love? Baco was the voice of dissension. He likes the album overall, but he's not a giant Aerosmith fan. He had a problem with some of the songs. But... Um, but I've been listening to Aerosmith kind of nonstop since then because it just kind of got me back on a, a roll of listening to them. And uh, this is an interesting bonus track from Aerosmith because it comes off the Pump album that came out in 1989, produced by Bruce Fairbairn. And there's Not a, a great album. Huh? Not you don't a think? Great album. Well, I mean, as far as success goes, it was a great album right, for them. Yes. Loving an Elevator, Janie's Got a Gun, What It Takes, you know, The Other Side. There was That's about it. There was a lot of hit singles on this this album, but there's a lot of but there's not a lot of old old school Aerosmith vibe on this record. Except for this bonus track, which this is kind of the last gasp of early Aerosmith, in my opinion. Well, I was going to say, because this is our playout song, we won't have a chance to come back and talk about it later. When you told me this was your pick and I checked it out, mm-hmm. I looked it up on the YouTube and it wasn't real specific to say what album it came right. off of. And I assumed, I listened to it and I'm like, well, when did this come out? This sounds like a 70s Aerosmith <laughs> exactly. song. Exactly. And tried to figure out what it came from and then I saw it was Pump and I was like, what? No, this doesn't sound like something off Pump. It sounds like something off the classic era Aerosmith, the stuff that I like. Yeah. So this is a Pump era song that I actually like a lot. Yeah. So, you know, kind of a, a last gasp of early Aerosmith, and it's our playout song this week. We promise this time. This is Aerosmith from Pump with Ain't Enough, and we'll see you next week, I swear.
touch is easy Time is the sky Although you can get much more high on Think you never try When you die you're not forsaken 